Join me, please, in the litany of invitation and confession. We come as God's children, led by God's children, to this sacred space of praise and worship. The bright and beautiful windows tell of God's story and our story. The pipe organ sings powerfully and joyfully its song of wonder. The tall cross carries our eyes upward in praise. We give thanks for the intimacy felt among us these last few months, and we give thanks for the sense of transcendence which this place and these people of God evoke. God is both with us and beyond us. We confess our failures as neighbors and friends. We confess our forgetfulness about God's presence in all of our relationships. We pause for a moment of silent confession. Sisters and brothers, God loves us and embraces us. God has forgiven us. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. And welcome again to the worship of God in this sacred space among these sacred people. Some of our folk are out traveling this week and still on break, but we are here and we're here to worship God and be present with one another. So welcome. We welcome especially guests that are with us. Uh, there is on the edge of your order of service a welcome uh, card. If you'd complete that, it'll help me connect uh, name and face with you. And then for any of you, if you want to be prayed for this week, it's an honor for us as staff and deacons to pray for you by name and by need. So feel free to place that on the card and drop that in the offering plate as well. As we worship God today, the first uh, lesson that we will hear is from Psalm 91. You will hear it as a psalm of praise to God, but also God's protection of God's people. It will be echoed later by the choir in the offertory, so listen for that. The second lesson is from uh, an epistle from the Apostle Paul, and he speaks about contentment, contentment, and being content. And that's what I want to try to preach on, so listen for, for that. Maybe you can help me uh, do that better. And then the third lesson, the gospel lesson, is one of those parables of Jesus that's hard to understand, but we'll work on it together. So let us open our hearts and our minds and our ears as we listen to these words read. Welcome. God promises care and love for God's people in times of trouble. A reading from a psalm. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that strikes in darkness or the destruction that wastes in noonday. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. Here ends the first lesson. 
I want to call us to prayer. Regardless of which side of the aisle your politics sits on, it has been a week where all of us have had bulging eyes and uh, heavy concerns. What happens inside the Beltway reaches all the way to Buckhead. We know that. And there are different Christian responses throughout history and even before the creation of the New Testament about how to respond to government challenges and civil authorities. The part that made it into our canon, into our New Testament, we read from just last week that addresses what step one is, and that is prayer. The Apostle Paul said, I believe Ken Brandt read it from the lectern, these words, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all goodness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God. Harry Emerson Fosdick, the pastor of Riverside Church, in 1930 at the front end of the Great Depression, wrote a prayer that was set to music. And the prayer says, grant us wisdom and grant us courage for the living of these days. That is at least what each of you will be praying. We're gonna take a few uh, seconds for moments of silent prayer as each of you pray silently. And then following this time of silence, Dr. Mary Dean will lead us all in prayer. Gracious God, our mother and our father, sister and brother, holy ancestor and protector, guiding light for the fears and hopes of the future. We place our trust in you and we call on you to be our refuge and our source of strength in the troubled times and in the times of pain. But maybe we need you even more in our times of ease and success. These are the times when we may fail to wrap ourselves in your love and guidance. And we think that we've made all these good things happen all by ourselves. We confess that we have used our wealth to waste more plastic and paper and metal and rubber and oil. We've used more precious fuel in our cars and built factories and industries which scorch the earth <clears throat> and kill its resources drying up its life-giving water and melting the snowy havens for precious Arctic animals. We are to blame for these sins of greed and excess, caring only for ourselves, our lifestyle, and our little corner of the world. We confess that we've used our time and resources to feather our nest and to flaunt our self-sufficiency We've isolated our wealth into investments that come back largely to ourselves. We know the need is out there, but it is so easy to put it off until another day and then another. Give us courage to do the small personal outreach that reflects your love for humanity. When can we commit to visit a person in jail and bring the gift of human acceptance and support. Volunteer to tutor a struggling adolescent and make the difference between passing and failing. Use words of love to help heal our divided nation. Take a needy stranger to lunch and pay for the meal. Offer to feed a neighbor's cat. Speak out often and with conviction about the fraud and injustice and self-serving greed in politics. Feed Lazarus and heal his sores. 
Who is Lazarus? He's everywhere. Every man or woman or child in need. This is how we can see you. The father and mother, brother and sister, holy ancestor, and promise of eternal life. This commitment closes the chasm and allows us to experience our oneness with you as God of the sparrow and God of the whale and God of the universe you created. We thank you for life and for the ability to love that you put within us. May we have the courage to use love to light the way for others. Let us pray together the prayer that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Apostle Paul encourages bold faithfulness and trust in God. A reading from the first letter to Timothy. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, men of God, shun all these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith and take hold of eternal life to which you were called and for which you have made the good, good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who is the testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time, he who is blessed and only sovereign, King of kings and Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, for to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that truly is life. Here ends the second lesson. Children, I'd like to invite all of you to come forward for our time together. We'll gather right here on the steps. If you have an offering, Pastor Daniel has a plate, and you can drop it right in. All right, Leah, can you, can you hold that for me and help me with that? Put it back in. Be like a surprise, okay? Are you ready? Okay, well, good morning, everyone. You want to sit right here, sweetie? 
There's a good space right there by Pastor James. Well, today I brought some things to show you that you might recognize some super things from some superheroes. And I wanted to talk to you about these superpowers. Leah's got the first one. This is She-Ra's sword, and it has special powers. When she says, for the honor of Grayskull, she puts it up in the air. Go ahead, Leah, put it up in the air. And she has, She-Ra has super powers, and Leah really likes She-Ra, so she brought this to share that <laughs> with y'all. I have other things in here. What is this? It's a Hulk smash hand. It's got superpowers. When Hulk, when Hulk has his Hulk smash hands, he smashes the bad guys and he does good stuff for the Avengers, right? Jolene, you want to take that? Or you want to take that one, Levon? How about this is, I've got this too. Do you know what this is? This is, I'm going to let Levon have this one. That is the, that is Green Lantern's ring. And you know, when the superhero Green Lantern puts that ring on, he's got these superpowers where he can fly and he can do all sorts of other cool stuff that come out of his Green Lantern ring. Levon, show me your Green Lantern ring. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There it is. He wears it. And then I have one more thing. This is a Supergirl cape because Supergirl, she does all sorts of flying and some really cool stuff. Mary Frances, that might match your robe. That one, she does all sorts of super cool things with it. She does a lot of super cool things with that. She flies and she does all sorts of stuff. You know, superpowers are pretty cool, aren't they? You can do a lot of stuff with superpowers. Do you sometimes wish you had superpowers? Yeah, when I was little, I wanted to have storm superpowers from the X-Men. I thought weather control was so cool. But you know, there's something even better than superpowers. And do you know what, they, what it is? It's called sacred powers. And God gives them to each of us in, in our hearts. Leah. They, they, and they, we're really excited about the sacred powers. Did you know that some of our sacred powers are faith and love and hope and compassion and humility, just to name a few? But do you know what a really special sacred power is? Sacred sight. It's where you use the love that's in your heart to see God's people and God's world all around you. So instead of seeing with just your eyes and seeing maybe how people are different from you or how like you have more money than other people and you might think a certain way about yourself, if you use your sacred sight of love, your sacred powers to see everyone else, then somehow that changes the way that we see God's people and the world around us. And we can use our sacred powers to love each other. And Jesus tells a story in our next gospel lesson about how things might be if only we could use, one person, the rich man in particular, could use his sacred power to see other people around him. And I brought you guys all a, uh, a very special monocle here to see the world around you this week so you got you guys can have one and you can take one with you and this week i want you to look at god's people and your friends around you so you can see them with love and see not how they're different but see them as god sees them he loves them he loves us all the same we're all precious to him so use your sacred sight this week and see see each other with love okay let's have a prayer Dear God, thank you for your sacred gifts that you give us. Help us to use our hearts to see the world around us, especially all of your children, how you love them and you love us all the same so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Did everybody get one? All right, let me have those, let me have those superhero things back. Thank you.
Jesus tells a parable about the spiritual consequences of economic injustice, a reading from the Gospel according to Luke. There was a rich man dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died, and he was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died, and he was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the, tongue, the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime, you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, to the, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. Then he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Thank you, Mary. Now we're, we're gonna to get to that gospel text in a bit but I'm not in a rush to do so. We'll get there in a moment. I want to talk about, a, about two words that were in that epistle lesson that Tim read. Paul uses them about being content and about contentment. It was a stumbling block as we were working on this on Wednesday, on the Wednesday Bible study, as exactly what does that mean? But I think it, it might be good to just start with a question are you content? As in, right now, are you content? Uh, and if you're not, uh, do you remember a time when you were? Or if you're not, uh, what would it take to get you there to be content? Now, we don't have a time travel machine, so we can't go back right now or go forward, come to think of it. But what we do have is, the, is this moment right now, this moment together, to inventory where we are in our lives about being content. Now you're probably saying, well tell me, tell, tell me what content is and I'll let you know if, if I am that way or not. Fair enough. The Greek word didn't help me that much as I dug around with it. It just looked like satisfaction or gratification. But when I looked around the English word of content, it has two pieces, the prefix, preface, the prefix. The prefix means together, con, alongside, along with, together. And then the tent, the root word means to hold, as in to hold together. Maybe that helps. I like the poetry of that. What, what is it that holds you together? Or what is it that you hold that helps your life become a whole? The way I would say it is contentment is a process of holding and being held together in God's peace, God's shalom, being held together by the peace 
of God. As we're aware of that, that comes and goes, at least it does for me, I think it's important to think through that and to use the Apostle Paul's words to do so. Now he uses many good words in this text like righteousness and faith and love and gentleness, all good, but I wanna hold up three other words as uh, pieces of the basket that hold my life together and may help hold yours as well. The first is, and I like this about the Bible, to the Bible's credit, it's not so esoteric, it's not so abstract or nebulous, it sort of gets down to the nitty gritty. The first thing Paul talks about as he talks about being content and contentment is money. The finance committee will love this. It's important in our lives. So I'd say the first point is the spirituality of stuff. Because no matter how at peace we are, we're also stewards of all this stuff that we have in our lives for the good or for the bad. So what is the spirituality of stuff? Paul invites us to think about the, the place of money and what we do with it. Um, in the early church, as we read in the book of Acts, the history book of the New Testament, they put all things in common. They were communal, which takes out that plug of possession that we so value. You know, we, I possess this thing, these things, this bank account. And so if you eliminate that, just think about how it changes the whole conversation. Evidently, it didn't last very long. May have been a good start. But even by the time of Paul, the church had evolved with poor people in it and wealthy people in it. The Bible in Paul or in Luke's gospel doesn't put down wealth, but what it says is it's long, it's, it, this is my interpretation, it's all right to be wealthy as long as you don't grip it tightly, but instead you give it away generously. Gaining wealth can be good as long as you generously pass it along. Generous and ready to share is how Paul puts it in this text. Now that, may, that brings us back to that peculiar parable that Jesus tells about the rich man and the poor man and then both die and what happens next. It's really, I, it, it's not a document, it's not a Ken Burns documentary on what happens in the afterlife, all right? It's not a documentary at all, it's a parable. And the parable has the poor man named Lazarus, not the brother of Mary and Martha, this is a different Lazarus. Poor man at the gate of the rich man. And then the great equalizer happens to both, death. As Paul put it, we brought nothing into this world, we take nothing out of this world. And then there's this conversation between um, the, the rich man in the abode of the dead talking to Abraham where Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom is the way King James puts it. And uh, the choir knows what uh, the rich man says, right? Uh, Lazarus, put your finger in the water and cool my tongue cause I'm tormented in the flame, right? Got it. You don't have to sing it, but I, I, we know, we know. That was, that's the word, but Abraham says it's too late because the sin of the wealthy man was not treating Lazarus poorly, you might say. He didn't slam the gate on his foot, didn't step on his leg on the way over, didn't punch him, he just ignored him and paid no attention to him. And guess what? In this parable, which probably comes out of Egypt, a lot of major cultures had that same story in it, that the wealthy man is not paid attention to as he did not pay attention to the poor man on the other side. I think it's about economics. It's about how do we use what we are given to pay attention to how we pass it on. So you might say, well, you know, if there was a poor man at my gated community that I had to pass by every day, I would be kind to him. I would be kind. Okay, good. That's good. I would, I think. What if he were a block away? Well, that's still you know, on the way to the house. What about two blocks? Well, probably three. What about at the city limit? What about at 
the border? What about across the pond? Where is the limit of our compassion? Where does it stop and with whom? What if Lazarus isn't a person at all? What if Lazarus is the fragile ecosystem of this planet? And the planet is there. And we just close an eye and we step over and we keep going without modifying our lifestyle to maintain, to maintain. Gives us some thought. Now this, this thing about wealth, it's hard to pass it along, seems to me. Um, any of us boomers or older who are present have some tales to tell about how we've wanted to pass along things to our sons and daughters who are millennials. As in, son, daughter, I've got good news. Here is Mamaw's China cabinet. And Mamaw loved this China cabinet. She went down to the hardware store and got it years ago. And now I, I want to pass along this China cabinet to you. And your millennial son or daughter says, I don't want the China cabinet. What? You know, don't, don't listen, Mamaw. You don't want the China cabinet? Well, well uh, you're going to need the China cabinet. What are you going to put all the China in that we're passing along? Oh, we don't need the China either. Well, I'll be. It's sometimes hard to give away what you have. Now, to the millennials' credit, uh, they are more minimalists than the builders and the boomers were, but I get that. Here's another problem. To whom do you give it? You want to give it away, how do you do it? Well, uh, you got a million dollars, let's see, there are a million poor people around, let's give a dollar to each. That's one way of doing it. And that way we'll give just enough to everybody so that nobody really has enough to do anything with. Uh, I know we will discern and triage, and some of you are in groups that do this. That you pool your resources and you find one place that you can do more with that money rather than scatter it so thin that it doesn't help at all. That's hard work. It's hard work to give away what we have, but we're called on to do that. Matter of fact, uh, like I said, some of you are in, in an organization that does that. Matter of fact, you're sitting in one right now. The missions ministry team of our church, we give money to uh, that comes through the church budget and says, and we say, we can't keep up with all of the needs. There are more things in the mailbox than we can give to at any good season. We are always getting calls. Would you help us know what are the mission places that our money can be used toward that doesn't thin it out, but gives it so that it can make a difference? That's what we do, and we admit it's hard work. Of course, the Apostle Paul may not have ended up with much, but I'm thinking that, that he passed along the best that he had, which was himself. I mean, isn't that what we do, we grandparents or uncles or aunts or mentors? We try to pass along the best of what we've learned from our lives. I can imagine Paul sitting and with, in front of a window uh, he's either writing or his scribe is writing, or maybe a disciple in the next generation is remembering what Paul said and writing it down, passing along what's been passed to him. And Paul says, write this, I brought nothing into the world and I can take nothing with me. The only thing you can keep is what you give away. That's the real gift. So the first word is stewardship. What do we do with what we have? That's a piece of contentment. The second word is contentment requires humility. The word is in the text of haughty. You can have wealth, but don't be haughty about it. You don't use that word a lot. It's an old English word that comes from high or height, haught, haughty. So it would be looking from a condescending position. Don't do that, Paul says. Don't be haughty, be humble. Now, the last I looked, uh, humility seems to be on the endangered species list. All the news I've read and heard and listened to this week, I don't see a lot of it out there. I checked the list. 
There's the hawksbill turtle on the list. There's a snow leopard on the list. And there's human humility, especially in high places. They're all on the endangered species list. Paul would encourage us, like with the, the words that we read from last week, we pray for one another and we pray from a posture of humility. Paul probably struggled with this himself. How would you like to be on a church committee with the Apostle Paul? My goodness, I wouldn't want that at all. Humility is knowing your place in the family of things. Several of you can quote Mary Oliver, right? And you know where that line comes from. Her poem, Wild Geese, that she begins by saying, you do not have to be good. I love any poem that begins with, you do not have to be good. The second line is, you do not have to crawl across the desert, burning on your knees, repenting for a hundred miles all the way. She then says, watch what you love. Observe the sun, sense the clear pebbles of rain that falls, that fall on the prairies, on the mountains, in the forests, in the deep rivers. Meanwhile, she says, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are headed home again. And then she closes it this way. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. I believe that is what humility is, your place in the family of things. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Screwtape Letters, talks about pride in there. And he says, it's like a telescope that's pointed at the heavens, except for pride. Pride turns the telescope around and thus magnifies the self and makes the heavens look small. Let's make sure we know which end of the telescope we look through. I see it differently, we can say, but you may be right. The third thing is enjoy the temporary. What do we do with our stuff? Stewardship. Grow our humility, number two. And number three, enjoy the temporary. I've heard the rabbis say that there will only be one question at the judgment seat where God will look us in the eye and go, did you enjoy my world? As we think about what it means, we see that word here. As Paul says, God has given everything for our enjoyment. Verse 17, how good is that? This week is an anniversary for me. Uh, on October 3rd, later this week, it will be the seventh anniversary of the death of my friend Chris Graham. Twelve hours before he died, on October the 2nd, I was sitting with him in his yard, also Susanna Davis, who is the pastor of Kirkwood UCC, United Church of Christ, were there. We were talking about texts in the Bible. Uh, Chris was in his uh, motorized wheelchair and Chris was a big guy so it kind of looked like a lazy boy with an engine. It was a big thing and he just always was struggling to be to find comfort because he had ALS near the end stage and he would rock it back and rock it to the side and as he moved it back he, I remember him that afternoon saying have you ever noticed how differently the leaves look when you look at him from this direction. And he said, you know, I, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm all right, I'm ready to go. Susanna added, asked a great pastoral question. She says, yeah, Chris, but is your family ready for you to go? And he said, you know, as Chris was wont to do, you know, um, they know that I have lived long enough to learn to let the love in and I think they can handle it. I think it's gonna be okay. And 12 hours later, I got the call and he had died. He had told 
Susanna and me. Now you take that with you. You remember to let the love in. And so I say that in my mantras every morning. My contentment, my serenity, prayer, mantras. Today I will lay down my sword and shield of yesterday down by the riverside of today. I will lean into my angular way of seeing and saying. I will have compassion with myself and others. I will watch what I am walking toward, not just what I'm walking away from. I want to have lived fully and loved fully when it is time for me to die finally. And I want to let the love in. That's what holds me together. How about you? Amen. It is our tradition that when a word is offered, an invitation to dedication is given. And we use the song that we sing to pray it to God and to gather our lives together and see what holds us together. The song that we will sing, number 461, is a song that sounds like a sacred harp song to me. It's a strong melody that pounds away in a minor chord, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly, just like Lazarus did. That's what we'll sing. Let's stand together and do so. Jesus, lover.
Can you hear me? Hallelujah. I want to share a few announcements uh, and concerns to you this morning. As you leave, you'll find uh, the latest hard copy version of the Pinnacle uh, that's in the table at the Narthex. And uh, you'll find information about our newest staff singer. I wanted to introduce to you James Ranson. James has recently joined us. James, we're so glad you're here. And uh, be sure to introduce yourself to him. Uh, and Shante Johnson is back, uh, a, a brief time away, and we welcome Shante back along with other staff singers who enrich our sanctuary choir. You'll find information inside the Pinnacle about some missions announcements that are upcoming. I wanted to highlight, too, that we're still accepting donations for uh, um, Georgia's prison system, uh, books. If you have any books that you're looking to donate, bring them to the church, and the pickup's going to be later in October. So we'd ask you bring those in the next couple of weeks. A couple of prayer concerns uh, to tell you about. Uh, received word uh, this weekend that Ann Shiver Hunt uh, had returned to the hospital. She's back in the hospital for some further treatment and gotten a note from um, the Manleys that they continue to struggle with some health issues and uh, had, had dearly wanted to be with us in worship this morning. So prayers for the Hunt and Manley families, as well as prayers ongoing for those that you hold in your heart and that you know, and that you can pray to God who hears all of our prayers as we say them. Uh, the Sanctuary Choir will help us continue our worship with on, on Eagle's Wings, which draws from Psalm 91. Thank you, Sanctuary Choir.
loving God, we give thanks that you have loved us so much that through the grace of your hand that you lift us up and you give us a week that's ahead and you comfort us from the week that's behind. Bless us as we do the work that you've called us to do. And may these tithes and offerings given in thanksgiving be received and shared as we share with the world. Bless and help and heal and hold as we pray. In Christ's name, amen. As we prepare to go, I always give thanks for the gift of our acolytes these days who lead us into worship and lead us out into the world. And as they do, they pick and lift and move and walk and wave high at parents nearby. Uh, it sounds a lot like sacred church to me. As we go, remember this, may the strength of Christ uplift you the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.